This is episode 105 of the Beyond the Food Show. And today we're going to talk about the six biggest myths surrounding menopause and preventing you from thriving with our guest, Deborah Atkinson. My name is Stephanie Dodier. I'm a clinical nutritionist. And at 35, I was trapped with severe anxiety, panic attack, obesity, and my health completely collapsed. I needed solution and my journey began. Each episode of the Beyond the Food Show, we bring you an expert or a message to help you achieve your health goals, unlock your self-confidence, and live a better life. This episode is very special to me because yesterday I was at yoga, and I'll share more of that with you in the beginning of the interview, but it's like the universe was telling me, Stephanie, you have to do this episode because there is a lot of myth around menopause. I was listening to about four women surrounding me on the floor while waiting for the class to start, and they were all talking about myths surrounding menopause. And I bet you when you get into the show, you'll relate to many of them. And I want to preface this show in saying you do not have to be in menopause to learn from this show. I believe that any women must listen to the show because at some point we are going to get through menopause. And if you've already been through menopause, you could still be a victim to those myths that surround where you are now post-menopause in your life. And I brought on somebody that I interact with in my professional network. Her name is Deborah Atkinson, and her tag name is Flipping 50. Deborah Atkinson is the author of Flipping 50 podcast and the Flipping 50 TV show, and she just released her new book, Hot not bothered. And she talks about well over, I think, 90 myths surrounding menopause that are actually busted through science. Deborah has a particular interest in that because she is in her menopause herself, but she's also a master personal trainer, strength and wellness coach with 30 years of experience in the fitness industry, but with a completely different outlook than the traditional fitness expert. You know I like controversy. So I brought her on to talk about those myths that are actually things that she faced every day with her own audiences and her own clientele. And her approach is absolutely inspirational. So I can't wait for you to listen in. So if you want to get the link to her book, Hot Not Bothered, you can go to the show note at stephaniedodier.com slash 105 to get the link to her new book. So are you ready to crush menopause? If so, let's do this. Welcome to the show, Deborah Atkinson. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm excited to have you on because you are an inspiration on social media for people who don't follow you yet, but I know a lot of them will do at the end of the show. 
you are really motivating and breaking myth when it comes to living a thriving life in menopause. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And the reason I invited Deborah, I've met her face to face. She is what she portrays on social media, which is very different for many people. So I applaud that. And because I hear a lot of you struggling with menopause or perimenopause. And as a matter of fact, it's funny because I was thinking of this episode yesterday and I was at yoga and I was sitting at yoga and meditation before we started. And I was surrounded by women that were clearly in menopause because they were complaining about it. They were saying, well, <laughs> you know, it's just like it's genetic. It's my mom. She used to suffer like me. So there's no other choice but for me to suffer. And the other one to say, well, it just comes with age. There's nothing we can do. It's that's what it is to be old. Is that a myth or a fact that we have to suffer through menopause, Deborah? Oh my gosh, I want to jump through the screen right now. <laughs> that is such a myth. And yet here's the dual-edged sword answer. If you believe it, you could make that come true. You will manifest it. Yes, that is so true. So here's the real facts. We actually have the ability to reverse aging, reverse the effects of aging in so many ways. So we'll get to that. But in regard to menopause directly, if we go and we do all of our research online, we're going to come up empty-handed with any direct correlation between menopause and weight gain. Now that said, I have to give all of you a <laughs> nod who might have been saying, wait a minute, I'm going through menopause and I've experienced that. So there are reasons why it's happening, but it's not a mythical here you go, you're in menopause, so now you should gain weight. It's more related to some of our lifestyle habits. So this is not, by the way, this is not me being condescending or saying it's your own fault, okay? So I want to make that clear. But we have been misled. We've been given misinformation. And so here it's time to say, okay, I don't know what I don't know, so what should I know in order to get out of maybe a hole that I'm in right now? And the truth is a couple of things, three to be true. One is longer hours. We know that longer work hours are associated with weight gain. And, you know, a lot of times at midlife, we're in peak of our careers. We're actually doing better. But for a lot of us, that means we're doing it more. You know, we're behind a computer more hours of the day or now we're taking it home with us, right? We're connected all the time. And that can be a piece of the pie. So that's one. And then there's a trend for women who are in menopause to be less physically active. And we'll get specific about that as far as what that means, because I'm not talking about extreme exercise, anything that hurts or that has to have pain with it. That's not where we're going. That's not what we need. But that trend toward less movement, then if we're honest with ourselves, all right, going through menopause, we may gain some weight. If we look back and we say five years ago, 10 years ago, I was actually a more active person. There's a little bit more of a reason to it than just the mysterious, oh, menopause, oh, weight gain. It's not so direct. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then the last thing, is so much less tangible, but I think so much more important. And I alluded to it, right? The manifesting, the way you think and your expectations really do matter. And it's not the, 
mystical, you know, put it out there in the universe, we'll deliver it kind of thing. You have to actually do some of the steps and lifestyle habits to make the change happen like anything else. But if you believe that that's your destiny, you're much more likely to attract it and that will become your habit. You will think there's not much hope. So why would I do that? And you may lead yourself down that path. But if you've been going there and you don't like it, you can get out right now. That's awesome. So we've prepared an episode for you ladies that talks about the five biggest myths surrounding menopause and how those myths prevent you from thriving. But here's the first question I have for you from hearing those ladies talk around me yesterday. And that was a message from the universe for me to ask that question. (laughs) Because that seems to be popular. Like my mom was like this, she Mm. suffered through menopause, it's just genetic, Mm -hmm. that's the way it is. Is that true or not? You know, genetics we can't ignore. So if you didn't choose your parents, well, you've got to deal with that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you know what, when we look at now what we're calling epigenetics, the creation of your environment, we know that that has 80 to 90% impact. So you've still, yep, you've got that genetic piece in there, but that's awful good favor in your, you know, your odds are in your favor. If you make the changes in your environment, your mind, physically, what actions you're taking, you can change. You can be the change that maybe if you're turning around and you're handing this off to a daughter, Mm. that her destiny can be very different. And I so agree with you because it is the same thing as obesity. We do know that obesity has a link to the genetic, Mm -hmm. but it's much more about the relationship to food within the family and how the family raised the children in regards to food. So it looks like that menopause is exactly the same thing. You may have a genetic predisposition, but how you live your life will dictate how you thrive in it. Exactly. That's amazing. So let's start with another myth. At our age or your age, the menopause age, our physical capacity are limited. No. Awesome. (laughs) This is so exciting. Yeah. If you could see my nightstand right now. So this is where I stack all the books that I want to read that I am reading or that, you know, I have read and I flip back all those corners and I want to go back to because they inspire hope. And actually, you know, I do that so that I bet you do too, Stephanie, but it's, I want to plant those seeds. That is what I want to go to bed thinking, you know, right? Thinking about aging better, thinking about, I'm not anti-aging. I don't know about any of you listeners, but I'm about pro-aging. I mean, the reality is we're not going to dodge this one. We're going to get older, Mm -hmm. but we can do it better. We can do it differently than anyone did. And here's what the science is telling us. So we can reverse the effects of aging on our brain. So those of you who've got, you know, small memory lapses or you're having some brain fog, we can change it. We know that by activity, by food we're eating, by getting better sleep. You know, I mean, you don't have to get breathless or even lift a finger to make some of those changes. We can also, we're talking, you're probably hearing a little bit about mitochondria, you know, and they're important in so many ways as an exercise physiologist. You know, I always used to refer to them as they're what makes you get out of breath, you know, if you're going upstairs or not. 
So if your mitochondria are beginning to fail, you're making fewer of them, you're going to get breathless even going up a flight of stairs. And if you're training correctly and you're increasing your mitochondria, that's going to be a piece of cake. No problem. Carrying two kids at the same time, still no problem for you. And what we know is those adults who stay active, have a great lifestyle, take good care of themselves, they are increasing their mitochondria. So this was within the last five years that scientists realized we're turning back the clock literally by doing the right moderate kinds of exercise. We can make, you know, an older person in that second 50 thrive as well as say someone in their 20s. They can be very comparable. And then the last thing is telomeres. Now that one's really scientific. You may have read it once and it's like ringing a bell, but not quite sure. So telomeres are kind of a marker of age and they give a hint as to our longevity. As they start to shorten, it's a signal that your lifespan is a little bit shorter than say if you had longer ones. With the right type of exercise, we can lengthen telomeres. So looking at people who have had an active lifestyle, we're looking and finding that comparable to their age-related peers, their telomeres are much longer. So how do we increase the size of our telomere and the quantity of mitochondria? What can a woman in her menopause do to act upon those two elements? I would say you've got to pick something you love. So I could say, Many of the studies for telomeres and mitochondria may have been done on runners, but I think we can each find our equivalent of running. So running may not be your jam, and you may be running in the opposite direction right now. <laughs> no, no, not doing this. And that's okay. Use it as an analogy. What is it that you do like to do? Is it that you like to put music on and rock around in your living room when no one's watching? Okay. Or you like to go to Zumba or you take ballroom or salsa dancing. What do you love? So becoming a more active person and doing it regularly, so much more important than doing anything by the rules, by well, runners were studied, so if I don't run, I'm out of luck. Not so. It's just that you need to kind of now take that and make it yours. But weight training, and Stephanie, you mentioned yoga. So mm -hmm. if yoga is your jam, I am a strong believer that look in your mirror. You have muscles, you have bones, and we need mobility. So I do think we all need some degree of cardio and some strength training and some stretching or range of motion exercise, but you may have a preference to doing one more than another. I know people who will say, you know, yoga is what I do for my exercise. I think you might also need to do some walking or something because as we age, we lose some of the ability to do that and you're going to want to maintain it. But choose the thing you really like. Go for that. Do that more often. You know, and here's if you think, oh, no, it's too late for me. It's not too late. And here's an example. Right now, we're doing a lot of research. We're seeing a lot come across for people with Parkinson's disease. Some of them, when they get Parkinson's or are diagnosed, they've really not been exercising in their life. 
but what we're finding is that doing bicycle riding on the back of, say, a tandem bike. So they were actually not even having to drive the bus, so to speak. They may not be doing a lot of the work, but their legs going around in that pattern is showing a reversal of some of the symptoms of Parkinson's. And Parkinson's patients are also responding positively to boxing. So, you know, if you're someone who's just got a, I've been more inactive, maybe that I think I should or know that would be good for me, you know, never too late because a lot of people are diagnosed with Parkinson's in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, younger as well, but that tends to be the majority of them. So never too late, still possible to reverse for sure. That's amazing. So it could be as simple as walking in nature or in your walking trail, but at a speed where you're out of breath. Exactly. Exactly. And don't forget, you know, daily activities of life. I mean, anybody out there who's cleaning their own house, that counts. And here's how much. All right. So, you know, people are ending that sentence or compliment, you look so great for your age or at your age, you know, they could just leave those three little words off, you know, in my book, we don't need that, right? You could stop right there. But there was a study done on hotel maids and large study. And they took hotel maids from seven different hotels. And I believe this was in New York city. So I think on average, a maid's day is that she'll clean about eight rooms a day. So they looked at the activity level and looked at what they were doing. And they brought all these maids in and said, you know, physical activity is good. You need this and you need it because of decreasing heart disease and cancer. And, you know, absolutely told all of them they needed it. They had to get it. And then they split them in two groups. And one group, that's all they got. The second group, they actually said to them, what you're doing at work every day is enough. It counts. That's physical activity. And in eight weeks, they brought them all in and they tested them again. And their cholesterol level, blood pressure, body composition, weight in the group that was told what they're doing already counts had improved. The other group did not. But None of them changed anything that they were doing. It was just an awareness that what you're doing counts. So go through your file of what is a day like? You may not think, okay, I'm not going to the gym. You know, may think I'm not lifting weights. I'm not going to yoga. And you're thinking about what you're not doing. But think about how many times did you go up and down stairs? How many times did you trek, you know, from the parking lot to work? How many times did you, you know, fill in the blank and think about really the activity that exists in your life and believe that it counts. That activity is extremely valuable, but the thinking and awareness that it is, is even more important. That itself is worth the entire episode. Phenomenal (laughs) inspiration here. So let's keep going. Yeah. At your age, you are mentally limited. True or mate? This is really along the same line. So if you love that last one, you're going to love this one. There is a, this is a book on my nightstand too. Do you want to come over? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So this is by a researcher named Ellen Langer. And what I love about her work, she's from Harvard. 
she did this way ahead of her time. So she now herself, I believe is in her seventies, she's retired. And back in the nineties. So this is before, if you'll think about that, this is before 70 was the new 40, right? So it was still 70 was kind of old at that point. And she took a small group, probably less than 10, but she took a group of prior celebrities and sequestered them away at a mansion. They pulled up in a bus. And then the moment they arrived and got off the bus, they were in charge of everything. So they had to unload their own suitcase. They had to take it to their room, unpack it. And for the entire stay, they were surrounded by music, movies, periodicals, magazines, books of their time, back when they were in their 30s and 40s in their prime. And they were asked to refer to these things as if it were now, it were in the day. So they were feeling younger, looking younger, thinking about being more active back then. And they had to be responsible for their own selves the entire time. What happened at the end of the study is a panel who was assessing them, looked at them and they were, they looked visibly younger. They had the appearance of fewer wrinkles. Some of them were seeing and hearing better. Because of this priming, the way they were priming their mind to behave, and Ellen's statement that is so rich is, if you put the right thoughts in your mind, your body will come along for the ride. That's brilliant. (laughs) Pretty powerful, right? I mean, both of those studies are very related. One was done from someone at Stanford, the other from Harvard, but you know, close to the same time. And they really illustrate what's the power of your mind and what can you do to yourselves based on what you believe. So, you know, I mean, imagine right now, if you're listening, how do you see yourself in five years? You know, and if you don't like that picture, change it, just erase, you know, how do you want to see yourself in five years? How do you want to see yourself in 10 years? What would you love for that to look like? And start keeping that vision and holding it for yourself. That's small activity. And maybe that's something you do. If you're a yogi, Mm -hmm. you go on your yoga mat before you begin or when you end and think about every move you do, you're breathing in younger, you're breathing out, you know, some of the old ideas. It's phenomenal that studies are starting to be done in finance to demonstrate the power of our mind, because I've been preaching that for years, but to have collaborative study to prove that it is true is phenomenal because it helps the listeners. It helps the people who were never exposed to this to actually put their commitment, but their effort into trying to do it. And it's free. Yes, totally. Yeah, right. I mean, what else can you say that about? And I want to bring to everybody's attention. I don't know if this is an elephant in the room that you might be thinking, like, why haven't I heard about that before? Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that study wasn't ever done in a bigger, broader way is it was so expensive to recreate and to sequester those people. So her book, Counterclockwise, if you're curious about it, describes it and her research. So if you want to read a little bit more, there is something out there. 
Awesome. So here's another myth. Menopause means weight gain and or belly fat. Truth or myth? Myth. Okay. So I think we touched on that one partially, right? So we touched on the fact there's no science showing that connection to weight gain is automatic, but you know, those long hours at work and here's what happens. Each of these things, we also tend to right now, have you noticed this? We have an affinity to both coffee and wine, mm-hmm. <laughs> All right? Okay. And so people in glass houses cannot throw stones. So I'm not going to bust either one of those too badly maybe in moderation, everything. Okay. So we can go there, but you know, if you're already stressed, putting in long hours at work and maybe you're surviving a little bit more than need be on coffee and then maybe soothing. Okay. Shall we say that with wine at the end of the day, you're kind of using one to get up and one to come back down, you know, maybe not the ideal because that adds a little stress And when we're stressed, we probably don't crave kale and salmon and insulin and cortisol, cortisol being the stress hormone and insulin from things like coffee can actually spike your blood sugar, whether or not you're adding sugar to it. So everybody, this has nothing to do with you adding anything. Coffee all by itself can do that. So that and wine, we know has some sugar in it. So looking at the combination of we've got stress and then maybe some of the things we're doing, you know, add to our insulin that tends to deposit fat in the belly. So it's some of the things we might be doing, ways of coping or getting by that can do it. And then remember, we've got that reduced activity that not everybody, somebody may be listening and be extremely active and still struggle with it. And that's where we have to look at are you doing too much activity? We've been conditioned as we've grown up that more exercise and less food is the way to go. And actually that could stress your body more. And you may actually just need to reset. You may need to rest more. Maybe you need more yoga-like activity or even yoga-like recovery, if you will, more restorative types of exercise or simply really rest in order to fix that. So that belly fat, cortisol is an amazing hormone. It gets a bad rap, but it's also our energy hormone. So we can't hate it, but it's got the ability to increase fat cells, to relocate them in your body to the belly, to take baby fat cells and make them big fat cells. I mean, our human body is amazing. So all that said, we may not like those results, but it's pretty awesome what can happen inside of you. But realize that if you can do that, your body can also reverse it. So it's, you know, how do you find joy? How can you offset some of the things that are causing stress by putting joy back into the activity that you choose and putting joy simply back in your life? So our stressors, I think, are not going to go away. Stephanie, you probably believe this as well. If you have a meaningful life, you know, maybe you love to travel. Well, traveling is not always a party, right? So there's going to be some stress. If you have a family, you know, they're a part of your everyday and your why, but they also make your life a mess, right? And I can say that because I have one and, you know, pets are the same way. But if you can embrace the joy piece, then you're going to offset some of the stress. You're not going to make stress go away or 
I love that when doctors tell someone, go decrease your stress. It was like, like yeah. how am I going to do that again? Right? <laughs> right? That's not helpful. So, you know, look for ways to add small bits of joy and remember what is it that you love doing? I know for a lot of the women I coach, when I ask them, how do you love to spend, you know, a couple of hours if you have free time just for you or a day? What if you had a weekend? That's one of the hardest questions for women to answer. And so if you can get in touch with that, even though you think right now that's not possible, like maybe you love to travel. Well, maybe you can't right now. Maybe it's finances or jobs or, you know, limits or caregiving, but can you plan the trip? What would it be like if you could plan an itinerary and you could still go there in your head? And that's the important part. And that brings me to a subject here that I want to get your opinion being that you are in that phase of your life, this whole transition emotionally from being a mother or being a caregiver to going back to a place of your life where you're with yourself again, because often that's what happened to many women is when they're going through the menopause, it's actually a cutoff from being a mother to being back to be a woman on their own, maybe with their partner as a lover. So there's a transition as well from that perspective. Can that affect our hormones and our cortisol? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you just hit a button, girlfriend. So yeah, you know, my roughest year was the year my son was a freshman in college. And, you know, then I was actually going through some personal kind of, oh my gosh, he's going to get a life. I better get one because <laughs> yeah. he can't be mine anymore. You know, it's time to, um, he's not going to want me showing up at his dorm room every week. So I better figure something else out. So, you know, I turned my life upside down and under the hood, right? All that perimenopause was going on. So it was extremely stressful and figuring out again, who am I? Where did she go? What do I want to do with all of this opportunity? Sometimes that's a scary place to be, but also fun. Yeah, it's an opportunity to, I want to say, recreate another persona. I know for me, I didn't go through menopause yet, but I went through my own health crisis, which I had to leave behind at 36, this corporate successful women to recreate myself. And I had this opportunity. So menopause could also be considered that, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, I think you can get through and you can think about, wow, you know, I mean, sex can really be fun again. Mm -hmm. It's a different, but it's freedom. And we have all this wisdom, right? That I think we can get to a place where most listeners will agree. Finally, it's okay not to have all the answers. It's okay to have questions. And, you know, I think maybe in our twenties and thirties, you feel like you can't ask those questions because you're going to be looked at as you're dumb or you're naive or, you know, and now there's confidence in being okay with that. I don't have the answers. I've got to ask questions and that's freeing. And just know, I think that there's that same kind of freedom with exploring other things, whether it's your sexuality or maybe you want to make a career leap. There's time. And that's amazing because that's my observation in working with women that are through perimenopause or going through menopause is that there's 
this, I want to say, emotional change also in their life. They don't know that they're in it. They don't know that they have permission to recreate a new life for themselves. And then they're stressing about it. And then the physiology kicks in and then creates those hormonal symptoms, those weight gain, those hot flashes, which could be avoided if that stress was perceived differently. So I think it's a brilliant answer. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, great topic. Now, here's another myth, and I know you're an exercise physiologist, so you're going to like this one. You have to exercise for hours at a time, no pain, no gain, like extreme. That's the only way to get results. Is that true or that's a myth? That is a myth. 1980 called, and they want that one back. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) So here's the exciting part, and this is how we've always had it backwards. So truly, when... People who study, the experts who study the very overweight or what's classified as obese, and you and I know this, people walking down the street, I mean, you or I could easily be classified as obese when we have the actual body composition test done. You don't have to look it. You could be any size. It doesn't matter. But people who study, the real researchers, will tell us that the association between being really overweight or obese and exercise, quote unquote, the kind that happens 30 minutes a day or in the gym, you know, the intense kinds of stuff is minimal. But the link between obese and overweight and prevention of it, to be clear, is much more tied to the amount of NEAT. So that is N-E-A-T and it stands for non exercise activity time that we get. So no matter what, if you're diligently decided, I'm going to start exercising and you're going to do boot camp six days or seven days a week for 30 minutes or 60 minutes. And yet the rest of your days, those 23 other hours, you're barely sedentary. You may not have as good a chance as reaching just your optimal health and your optimal energy as someone who increases the small things that they're doing, walking a little bit more, taking the dog for an extra walk at night and up and down stairs, cleaning your own house, being more active, say during the middle of a workday when say you are tied to a desk and a screen, standing at your desk, getting up and walking the memos down the hall doing 10 minutes of walking to lunch instead of just sitting at your desk and powering through. Those little bits of activity during the day add up so much more than exercise alone does. It's doable for any of us, even those of us who are extremely busy and can't exercise. You may be just fine not exercising. That's interesting because a lot of women out there, when we talk about how to ease through menopause, that comes equally with movement. The same way we want to be healthy, it comes with movement. But for many of us, the expectation that we put on ourselves as far Mm -hmm. as like no pain, no gain and have to do it six days a week is what prevents us from even doing 20 minutes a week because we want this perfection. So Thank you so much for breaking those myths. Yeah, isn't that it? Perfection really blocks progress. (laughs) Yes. Yep. 
we don't even try because we'll say, well, if we can't do the no pain, no gain six days a week, might as well not try because it's not worth it. And you just demonstrated the complete opposite. That is so, so true. And just to those gals out there who might be listening, who they do like exercise, they enjoy it. By all means, for some, exercise can be a catalyst to other healthy habits. And sometimes doing that first means, okay, I'm going to make healthier choices the rest of the day too. There is that. But if you're someone who time is your obstacle, as it is for most of us, even exercise lovers, don't forget the rest counts. It all counts. Here's the last myth of the episode, but another one. Exercise that burn the most calorie are the best. So the whole relationship between calorie and exercise. What's your take on that? Total myth. And now we're just beginning to scratch the surface on this, but it is so much more it's tied to hormones. So your calories, first of all, don't control your weight and actually your energy or your level of fatigue. Your hormones do. So hormone balancing, you know, may be more rest than it is more exercise. But here's the maybe woo-woo. So you might want to sit down. (laughs) We talk a lot woo-woo here. We're good. Okay, good. Okay. So vibrational energy. Think about being around somebody who is always a downer. You know, if you're going to see them, it's just going to be draining and you're dreading it. You know, and then on the other hand, turn to the other side. I'm going to save you here. So think about somebody who you always light up when you're around. And after you see them, you feel better. You feel better about yourself. You're so glad you saw them. You're kind of spontaneously smiling. That's a kind of high vibrational energy. Somebody's got it and you kind of catch it right? It's that kind of spontaneous boost in energy that you get. Well, you know, there are foods that do that for us, but there are also exercises that do that for us. So it's why some of us are drawn to yoga. Some of us are drawn to moving with music and maybe it's dance. It's not formal activity. So choosing your activity, not based on how many calories did I just burn? right? If I told you how many times in 34 years as a fitness instructor, I'd been asked that after a class and I just had a forehead slap, right? It was just, you know, a dime for every time. But the value of it is how does it make you feel? And that intangible kind of magic can make a much bigger difference in decreasing, say, your cortisol level, making you feel better. And that actually can boost your energy and optimize the benefit of exercise, whatever it is that you're seeking to get from it. So think about what is it that you love? How can you get that back to small regular doses, whether that's activity or things that you've left out, like you like to travel, you know, go back to do that, boost your energy and spend a little time doing that as opposed to, you know, if you're someone who Maybe you're stressing as we're talking about yoga, putting on yoga pants and going to down dog. Maybe that feels stressful. Well, then that's not your relaxation activity, right? Or, you know, maybe running or doing a boot camp that will tell you they're going to torch calories and burn fat. If you dread that, it's just not going to be true for you. It's going to 
boost your cortisol level, and that's not going to help anything. So it's finding those things that make you spontaneously smile, look forward to doing it and being in it in the moment, not just what it might do for you afterward. That's the difference. So could we say no joy, no gain instead of no pain, no gain? Yeah, I like it. <laughs> I just came up with that as you were talking. So <laughs> we got to put joy in our exercise and in the relationship that we have to food as well and to the food that we choose to have, because if we don't have joy, we will end up not making the right choices. Exactly. That's so true. I mean, anything that ever started with diet, right, starts mm. with deprivation. I mean, how are we going to succeed doing that? Why not? So your book that you've written, we talked about it in the intro, The Hot Not Bothered, is a collection of what we just talked about, busting around menopause. Am I correct? It so is, yes. So it's 99 little flips in my world. That's what mm -hmm. they're called, not tips, okay? So each one is related to a study or several studies, but the most recently published are in there. And here's the biggest eye-opener. There's only 39% of all sports and medicine research out there is done on women. Hmm. So even a smaller percentage, you know, if we took that in half, 20% is done on women in midlife and older. So even if you've been exercising for years or working toward healthy habits, many of those habits or the research about them has been done on fit young males. So every study in the book is targeted at women who were subjects. And if there is an exception, there were about two, I clearly stated. And the reason why I included that tip. So it's all about you. It's all about what's going on for you, what's true of you and how to change your expectations. That's brilliant because I never thought about it this way. But yeah, you're right. Studies are not done on women and particularly older women. Right. And do you know the reason they give is exactly the reason why they should be doing it. It's that we're so unpredictable because we have unique hormones, unique metabolism, unique body composition, and unique socialization about exercise. Well, exactly. That's why we need studies done on us. <laughs> And then we turn around not knowing this, and then we expect to meet those criteria, those results, not knowing that it's never going to happen because the people whom are tested are not at all like us. That's so true. Yep. And, you know, that goes to say, okay, when you walk in and you have the opportunity to take part in different classes or programs, chances are those textbooks and the trainers and certifications were all built around that research. So you have to be a critical thinker and think, okay, was this designed for women like me? Tell me more about that. Ask some questions. And you do have specially designed classes because you're your own customer. You're the exercise specialist who is at that age. You do offer such a thing on your website, correct? I do. I have some very specific just exercise only for those people who are like, okay, I'm looking for an option that fits, you know, not only what I like, what feels good, but take care of my joints, right? Yeah. <laughs> the three little words a woman says to a trainer now are not, I love you. It's don't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we do some programs where actually, you know, I'm a 
a behavior change specialist, an exercise psychologist, and the between the ears is the most important part. So if we don't change that, nothing else is going to take. So I really address that strongly in all of our programs. And I love online classes for myself as well. I have Gaia, which is an application that I use because I literally can take it with me anywhere Mm -hmm. and I can do it in my house. How productive is that? Right. At your own convenience, no intimidation factor. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So that's a great opportunity for the listener. If you're looking for an option that's specially designed for you, a great option. And even if you're not in menopause yet or perimenopause, I think the book would really help you reframe what your expectation from that period of your life and then create that picture of who you're really going to be and manifest it. Exactly. You know, and flipping 50 is, it can be a little tricky for some women to think, okay, what about 60? I get that question so often I, and I want to make it clear, you know, whether you're approaching 50 and if you are, I'm jealous because you're going to do it so much better than we're doing it. You're going to have so much more information, right? Or if you're 70, you're clearly on the other side. The hormone change continues really until we die. So the biggest change is going to happen at perimenopause and menopause. But once we're on the other side of it, now we're still going to work with those hormonal changes until we die. So we got to keep studying. Thank you so, so much for being with us today. And I've literally crushed all those myths that we have around that period of our life and how we can make it better. Thank you for being such a warm host. Great conversation with you, Stephanie. Thank you. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm so glad you stuck around till the end. If you did learn something about menopause and enjoy the show, there's a few things you can help me, which is to share this episode with other women that are either about to go in menopause or perimenopause or are into menopause and that need this education or simply your daughter so she can know what to expect from menopause and most important what not to expect you can go to the show note to share at stephaniedoze.com slash 105 or tag me on facebook on instagram and share how this episode helped you Thank you very much again for being with us today. And I'm so glad that you were able to share time with me and Deborah. and I'll see you on the next show.